before we wrap up the series for Black History Month, I'd like to remind folks to check out the resources on our show notes for each of our guests this month. Support and share their work. Also, thank you for taking this journey together to explore the amazing contributions of each of our guests and what it means to be a Black or African-American mental health provider. We have one more guest for Black History Month, so let's take a listen. Oftentimes, for Black and African-American clients, especially during childhood and adolescent years, if and when mental health issues occur, how often is ADHD even considered versus mood and other behavioral disorders? What about gender differences in ADHD and how might that be expressed? How does race impact the overall understanding and etiology of minoritized individuals and their symptom presentation? Welcome to People of Color in Psychology, the show that explores mental health topics specific to culture, diversity, and communities of color. I am your host, Jack Sun. As part of our series for Black History Month, today we have Casey Wiedis, a doctoral candidate in clinical psychology who received her master's in psychology specializing in applied behavior analysis. Casey is also currently the director of practicum training, and prior to her doctoral experience, Casey has worked in the criminal justice system, was an adjunct professor at a technical institute, and a special education teacher. Today, part of her central message is bringing awareness to people of color working in the field of psychology. Casey, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Can you walk us through your personal journey and share with us any memorable events, circumstances that may have influenced how you got into this work? Absolutely. Oh, that's kind of a, a it's, it's a journey, I will say. Uh, my bachelor's degree, as you mentioned, I have a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. And so that's where I got my start working in the criminal justice field at a juvenile facility, essentially. And so through there is when I really started to enjoy studying human behavior. It actually kind of started in high school when I was afforded the opportunity to take criminal justice classes in high school. That led to the the undergraduate degree in criminal justice. But truly, I always had an interest in human behavior is why I started studying criminal justice more from a forensic lens. It was not until I left the juvenile facility and went to become a teacher, a certified special education teacher, I started to work more with individuals. At this time, it was adolescents because I've always done middle school level. And it was at this point when I took more of an interest into, you know, neurodevelopmental disorders, essentially, and concurrent with being a special education teacher working in a self-contained classroom for students diagnosed emotionally disturbed or individuals that may be kind of, you know, what we may say severe ADHD or even autism is I was also studying and working towards my master's in psychology, but specializing in applied behavior analysis. And so it was there where I really started the journey of learning more in depth about autism and where I started to really specialize. I did conduct um, practicum and interim experience in an ABA clinic, which also gave me more exposure and training, right? And it was a part of my master's program where I would 
be in class talking with my professors and you know within the field of aba it's, it's all about environmental let's adjust the environment let's let's modify this we're looking at abcs but for me it was always kind of that thought that wait it's it's more than just the environment that we have to take a look at right there's a lot of private events that we have to consider when we're looking at individuals behavior um but because of with me focusing in ABA at the time, I did not go more so into the private events. And that kind of led me to want to pursue my doctorate degree so I could study that a bit more. And then as I was studying it more and, and working in a classroom, taking those components that I was learning in school with my master's degree and, and having those thought about private events, you know, I started to see myself gravitating more and more towards working with individuals that, uh, you know, are neurodivergent, right? It was not until I started to pursue my research topic for my dissertation that really led me into ADHD more. I think in my personal opinion, you know, ADHD is talked about so much, right? Even compared to when I initially started my dissertation, um, there's a lot of information out there that people talk about on social media, TikTok, Facebook, all kind of skits and things. But, you know, a lot of times we find that there, there's a difference, right? And we find that it's not always what social media says ADHD is. And so for me, I'm at home, right? And I'm trying to discover my research topic and I'm just kind of being present and being in a moment. And then it hits me, right? It's sometimes I, I've told even my trainees that your topic, it may take time for you to discover your topic. It's not necessarily one that you may just think of right off the top of your head, right? And that was my experience. You know, I happened to be one day talking with my kids and and realizing the conversational piece in terms of my my son who has ADHD versus my daughter who also has ADHD that the presentation looks different right and so it was it was that where I had my aha moment and having a conversation with both of them because they are of different age right my son is a bit older compared to my daughter um and and telling him hey, you did the same thing, it just looks a little bit different in your sister. Or hey, you do the same thing, it just looks a little bit different in your brother. And it was there where I found myself starting teaching and studying it more to where I was like, you know what? Here's my dissertation topic, right? Wow. And it's also something that I'm passionate about because they're my kids, right? And I want to yeah. learn and study more of how I can work with them and how I can help them. And then that took to, you know what? I'm curious in our field, are other clinicians doing the same thing you know yeah. and so that's what kind of led me to my dissertation topic to where i'm at now you know even through my internship experience you know working with the population i've also seen you know differences as well i mean it's amazing that with your robust experience having worked in a juvenile detention center and also clinic intensive clinical setting also teaching special education and talking about the work mostly having focused on the environment adjustment and you beginning to question hey there's some internal experience that we really need to consider and from that curiosity also just seeing directly from your day-to-day -day experience and working with your children hey there seems to be something going on here and which then le led you to pursue your dissertation topic now you've also you know as part of our episode one of the things that you mentioned is ADHD in the BIPOC community. 
can you just share with us some of your experience, you know, directly working in the classrooms, as well as some of just your research and what you've discovered so far? Yeah, absolutely. So I will say, you know, definitely the experience, let me start off saying this, in a criminal justice system, right, it's when I was there at that time, because I was over 10 years ago, it wasn't necessarily that we was, you know, work, I wasn't working with them in a therapeutic stance, essentially, right? I was a detention officer and a boot camp officer at one point. And so there was that question from a detention officer perspective, you know, is, does this, you know, juvenile essentially have other difficulties that they're, that they're experiencing, but that wasn't for our, that wasn't our area to consider. So it wasn't that, oh, well, we're going to adjust with this, with this child because they have ADHD, right? So that part was completely kind of like off limits for me, right? They would, they would have therapeutic services, but it looked different within the, in the system at that time. Now, when going into the classroom setting, because this gave me the opportunity to be more hands on and kind of learn and experience that, you know, from an adolescent standpoint, because that's the population I worked with at the time for six years, was looking at those differences, right? And not put in that stereotypical, you know, what we see the stigma associated with ADHD, because oftentimes, and in, in if I'm being honest, I found a lot of my colleagues will automatically receive that child 504, maybe special education paperwork, IEP paperwork, and automatically have this, you know, presumption of how the child behavior is going to be. And a lot of times what I found, what happened is, is that if it was a child that was a minority, it would, even though it was ADHD, the assumption that other professionals, once they see that diagnosis, will automatically assume that they're a behavioral child. And I found that to be a common terminology associated with ADHD when it came to adolescents that were a minority, right? And as I kind of grew more into the field and even where I'm at now, internship gave me, you know, a wonderful experience when studying ADHD and working with the population. But one of the biggest things that I seen and that I, you know, I try to educate people on is really taking the time to work with when working with their clients to really listen and hear them out. You know, sometimes we have to make sure we're doing a thorough clinical interview, right? I think one of the the wonderful parts about me as a clinician is having a criminal justice background, but also, you know, with my doctorate degree that I'm pursuing, it is clinical psychology, but I have a specialization in health psychology too. So there's courses within that realm that I took as well in understanding stress. How does stress, you know, will appear in somebody, right? You know, somebody who's experiencing stress may experience symptomology aligned with ADHD, right? They they may be forgetful. They may be disorganized because they are stressed, right? Um, what I see happens, though, a lot of times with our minorities is that they're often misdiagnosed, right? That hyperactive, that hyperactive behavior may be looked at as bipolar, right? Although somebody is hyperactive impulsive and impulsive and they are, you know, reporting these symptoms, right? These behaviors. Another clinician may look at that and say, oh man, they must be bipolar. Well, no, that's not the case. If we do a thorough interview, right? And we distinguish between and know the symptomology aligned with bipolar versus ADHD, then we can get a more appropriate diagnosis. But I found to be common that that doesn't happen. And so when I come in, right, because I, I get a lot of re-evals, there's been 
multiple times where I've had somebody who is a minority, but when they, they tell me and they're, they're verbal about it, I pitch you because you were an African-American female, right? Not even just the female component, but because I'm African-American, right? And I've had so many clients express to me that, you know, I was seeing another therapist because I provide therapy service as well, right? Oh, I was seeing another therapist, but I just feel like they didn't understand me. I feel like they wasn't listening to me or I seen another, you know, psychologist and did an evaluation. They diagnosed me as bipolar. So here I am coming in. Well, you know, I can definitely understand, you know, as an individual, we want to be with somebody kind of like that matching process that we do with male and female therapists. Right now you can start to see that there's a matching process, even if it comes to race and ethnicities, because people want to be heard. Right. People want to be understood. And what tends to happen is they they naturally gravitate to someone who looks like them. Right. Because there is more of that understanding. And so when I come in and I'm doing a reevaluation because I've had clients say, you know, I really just don't think I'm bipolar. Mm. And one of the first questions I asked, well, have we ever experienced a manic episode? And they're like, no. And so now, you know, the red flag is going off with me because I'm like, okay, so now we got to play detective and figure out, well, how did we get this diagnosis? What's going on? And so, again, doing that thorough clinical interview, right, and being able to look at fine nitty gritty things because, yes, impulsive behaviors can look bipolar, right? If somebody is manic, if they are manic, individuals with ADHD are not manic. And so what I tend to see, and it happens a lot of times with African-American males, right, are often misdiagnosed with bipolar. But interesting enough, recently I've experienced women coming in African-American women being diagnosed with bipolar disorder when in fact it may be ADHD or even just depression and anxiety, right? I, and this is a, a vast ages. I've had clients from adolescent all the way up to a recent one. She was in her 50s saying that she was diagnosed bipolar, but I always felt like that wasn't the case, right? And so a lot of times what I find is that if we just take the time and listen to our clients, right, and we do a thorough clinical interview, we're not just taking, you know, high level view of when we probe symptomology and say, okay, do we do we find ourselves to be fidgety? Do, our, do we find ourselves to be hyperactive and bouncing off the walls, right? They may say yes, but now we got to dig further. What does that actually look like? Right. What does because it look like and what's the source? Like, what's the reason for you being fidgety? Because I know yes. having several talks and I know you describe yourself as being passionate and, you know, and so <laughs> how do we, and this is unfortunate because we're talking about low context versus high context cultures. And then so mm -hmm. if someone is highly expressive with passion, how does that get misconstrued as a mood issue or a mood Right. Uh, concern as opposed to this is just how I express. This is just how my culture, my, uh, I, yeah, my culture expresses certain things. And, huh. Okay. And so I, I love the, the example you mentioned, which is, you know, the possible misdiagnosis. Now, in terms of, you know, the BIPOC community, particularly in a case of African American and Black clients that you've worked with, just out of curiosity, did you notice how some of the ADHD presentation gets expressed differently or the reason, like underlying reason for it is different? You know, honestly, I think from a professional opinion, it may be maybe 
the under the origin of it as you as you mentioned right but i've but then again it could be that maybe the client is not expressing you know their their reporting behaviors right and so for them as a to me as a clinician it is our due diligence right to thoroughly go through and get a good deep understanding as to the clients presenting concerns right what behaviors that they are engaging in to be able to decipher between you know if it's adhd or if it's just even a uh, depression and anxiety right and and i've even seen it vice versa right when it comes to diagnosis or even combined together it's it's more so what i have found in my experience when i'm working with clients and I ask them, okay, are we hyperactive, right? What and and I may have some clients that come straight out and say, you know what, I'm hyperactive impulsive. Well, my follow-up question is, well, what does that look like? What does that look? You're telling me you're hyperactive and you're impulsive, but what does that actually look like on a day-to-day -day basis, right? And then I'm looking at engaging to see if there's significant functional impairment, right? What I find a lot of times, and I've had clients report to me is, huh my last uh psychologist didn't didn't go that deep they didn't ask those questions right and so it, it it appears to me you know working with these clients that the questions when probing symptomology is very surface level so again a client says oh i'm hyperactive impulsive right somebody another clinician may just automatically for whatever reason think bipolar or they may think something else right when that's not necessarily the case or even may say adhd right because there i have worked with individuals that have been misdiagnosed with adhd and i've worked with individuals where you know adhd has been undiagnosed and they've been suffering for years until they finally get a response you know and so what i find that it it could be essentially that and i'm not saying this for all clinicians i don't speak for all clinicians i only speak for myself i just want to throw that out there but what i find is i'm working with these clients is that perhaps you know there's not a lot of deep you know underlining probing of symptomology to really get a clear picture if this is adhd or if it's not adhd and if it's not then what is it yeah it's you're talking about part of this, the depth of the inter clinical interview, I am also yes. curious about differential treatment. You know, this mm -hmm. is a podcast about people of color and psychology. We talk about racism and I just can't yeah. help and think about the context of, well, you know, are you giving your white clients a little bit more time? Are you giving your, you know, black and brown clients a little bit less time? I don't know. Also the, the environment in which they're in, are there certain biases that occur? These are just thoughts that I'm having. I'm I'm actually curious what your observations have been. No, absolutely. I am very big on, you know, as a clinician, checking my bias, right? That was definitely drilled into me in the internship, right? Um, into all of us, you know, that is a key component when working in our field is that we want to be able to check our biases. I will say for me, I am very mindful of that, but I treat all of my clients the same when they come in for this clinical interview, I'm trying to see regardless, you know, of your race or ethnicity, what your presenting concerns are right i'm trying to get deep dive into what's going on because as a clinician it's not that i give one more time than the other i give everybody the same and the same in the same treatment but I, I wouldn't be i would be lying to you if i say i i did not 
take time, additional time to understand, you know, when it comes to African-American, let's say females, right? Because there, there's a lot of research right there. There's growing research that symptomology might present different in us, right? As, as time evolves, right? Naturally, as, as human behaviors evolve, things do look different as time goes on, right? And so it's being mindful of that because what, what someone may see as, you know, that emotional dysregulation, it may automatically say, oh, well, they're aggressive. Well, it's not that they're aggressive. Maybe they're having challenges regulating their emotions, right? Maybe there's that irritability there. Maybe there's that frustration there, right? And so it's even getting to the origin of that. Because if that emotional dysregulation occurred at the same time of those developmental periods, right? Because emotional dysregulation is a component of ADHD. So it's not necessarily to prejudge and say, oh, well, you are, you know, a minority individual and you're irritating, you're frustrated. Oh, you have this diagnosis or, oh, you're, you're just depressed and you're anxious, right? Even for women. Women, research shows us that women internalizes their challenges, right? Hence, a lot of times why they go miss or undiagnosed with ADHD, right? Regardless of the race or the ethnicity behind it. And so for me, again, going back to your question, it's not that I treat them or give them different time or treat them differently. I take the time to listen to what my client present presenting concerns are, right? And it, it may look different because there have been clients I've worked with and do work with that are African-American female who have sought me because I'm an African-American female, right? And those are conversations we have, whether they're at work in a corporate office or wherever it may be that, you know, I'm irritated, I'm frustrated, and it could be mapped onto those symptoms of ADHD, right? You know, gosh, Keisha, I'm just having so much trouble completing my assignments on tasks. I'm tired of working on the weekends. Who wouldn't be frustrated and irritated, right? It's not necessarily to say that, oh, because she's an African-American female, then now she's, you know, aggressive or she's, you know, has this attitude, right? The stereotypes that have been associated with African-American females is not to say she has an attitude. It's simply she's having challenges regulating and sustaining her attention that is impairing her work performance. And she has seen that. And that is frustration. Who wouldn't be? Yeah. You just hit on something that is so clear. Right, you're you're talking about um, a mediating pathway, basically the rationale. Yes. Hey, this so-called emotional dysregulation isn't an actual emotional dysregulation. There's a precipitant to it. There's a cause to it. It's yes. not like um, you know your client is doing this consistently. There's circumstances right. that have basically bubbled up and created this tipping point where this particular client may be more emotionally dysregulated you know the other thing too you know it's not like people are consciously going to their session thinking about right black and brown asian clients right. or you know bipoc clients are this way most people aren't doing that and that's the challenges of biases we're not aware right and that is why we have these conversations to learn and to challenge these assumptions. So Casey, for you, what does it mean to be an African-American clinician? You know, that is such a, a loaded and powerful question. And I've, I've gone back and forth in my head thinking about it. But, you know, honestly, for me, what it means is to be aware, right? It's to bring awareness. For me, it it means a, it means a lot to me let me say this because i do have 
right, two young, beautiful African-American girls. I'm a mother. I do have an African-American son, right? And so for me, it, it allows me to, one, kind of be a, a model to them and show them that, you know, as individuals of color, these are things that we can do too, right? We can accomplish too, because I have been in a space, right, in a room where I was not heard or I was not spoken to because of the color of my skin. I have walked into a meeting where I was the only African-American person in the room, right? And then at, when that happens, there have been times that I have not been listened to, right? Or I have not been spoken to. And so I've been in those spaces. And for me, you know, one of my take-home messages is the awareness part, right? Is to be aware. That's not the case. I'm passionate about what I do because it does touch home for me, but also because there should be more awareness, right? It is to the point where I get clients that come in and they're they're picking me because of the color of my skin. And again, I understand, right? When you are an individual that has experienced not so good opportunities with other therapists or clinicians or what have you, right? You do start to seek and say, you know what? I want somebody who's going to understand me. I think the biggest thing for us as clinicians is to listen, right? As, as a, as a trainee, you know, I was taught that that's what you're supposed to do, right? From a forensic lens, right? We, you go deep down and you get, you develop an understanding, regardless of what the person looks like on the outside, right? We're trying to figure out what is going on, right? And what I find is that sometimes that's not happening with all of our bike pop community clients. And it's sad that that it's like that, right? But I feel like for me as a as a young individual aspiring psychologist to be coming into the field and navigating the field, one of my biggest things as part of my professional identity is to advocate, is to teach, to provide that psychoeducation, right? And to teach other people, um, even if it is trainees, right? Their multicultural competence. There's a lot of times it, it seems as though we tend not to take that as serious or it's just kind of one of those competencies that's there like, oh, yeah, we know. But are we really paying attention to it? And, and the biggest thing is if you sit and you be in a moment with your clients and you really listen to them. Right. And ask them. Right. I don't know everybody's culture. But you know what? What I do do if I don't know their culture, I ask them, teach me. The best way to learn when it comes to the multicultural component is not just necessarily going to the research and what it says, but asking your clients, learning firsthand through your clients. And I do that regardless of anybody's race or ethnicity, because if I don't know the culture piece that goes for you, how can I really help you? Because that's a big piece of who you are as an individual, right? And so part of my professional identity is, yes, I am a forever learner, but I learn from my clients, right? And a part of their learning is also me advocating, teaching them how to advocate and providing that psychoeducation to other people within the field in terms of, again, is it really ADHD? Is it not? Is, you know, is it, let's take a look at the cultural, you know, aspect to this and what's really going on. But most importantly, I tell people, just if you be in a moment and listen to your client, they're going to give you a lot of information that you need. We just have to be thorough and not rush the process and automatically say, oh, they're doing this behavior. So this is what I'm diagnosing them with, because that's not always the case, especially when we get to talking about trauma. Right. That trauma piece of itself 
may present differently in everybody and it does because we all know trauma looks different for everybody right and so it's even taken into that factor because again i've worked with clients that was diagnosed with a disorder when in fact it was trauma right and so it all to me it all goes back to being present being in a moment and and doing our due diligence for our clients yeah well thanks for sharing that i mean just being, I mean, this idea for you being an African-American clinician carries a lot of responsibility. Also, yes. a sense of empowerment and paving the way for other clinicians, as well as your children modeling, hey, we are competent. We can do this together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know. So, you know, you we see it across different areas, but, you know, going back into the psychology world, yes, you know, I, I, it holds dear to me. And, you know, for me as an African-American female into the field, there's pride attached to that for me, right? There is a lot of sense of pride, but not too much to where I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm not checking my bias. It's just more so I have learned, you know, if it was the other way around, would I want to be misdiagnosed with something or underdiagnosed, undiagnosed with something because of the color of my skin, because of the community that I'm in? And when I find that the answer is no, then I'm going to treat everybody the same because everybody should be. But in the world we live in, I understand that that's not true. Right. And it doesn't happen for everybody. And I've experienced that personally. And I've experienced that working with clients. So my role right in the field is to do that due diligence. Right to be that support for individuals within the community, right? So that they do have somewhere to turn to, somebody who will understand them and not jump and say, oh, well, you just have, you know, the black girl attitude. So yeah, they think that you have a, they think that the irritability and that frustration is the attitude part when it's not. It's somebody who is struggling, who is struggling. And naturally, right, somebody who's struggling may start to get, irritated or frustrated right and so it's really diving deep and getting a clear understanding of like you say the origin and really investigating what is going on and always considering that culture piece that goes to it yeah casey thank you so much for sharing that now what does black history month mean for you oh it means for me it means a lot more so because my birthday is actually juneteenth right yeah so wow. for me growing yeah absolutely you know for me growing up it was definitely talked about right but more so when i learned and i got older the meaning behind juneteenth right so even now for me i celebrate my birthday just a little bit different right because it's not just my birthday but it's juneteenth and so you know black history to me for me is empowerment right to me in my mind right just as an african-american person in general black history is all year round for me because every day i wake up and i am black and every day that i wake up and i work with my clients who are a part of the bipoc community is to ensure just as well as i'm doing due diligence for everybody else i'm also doing due diligence for them and not making any assumptions right and always being sure to check my bias so black history month is a year for me it's every day because it's who I am and it is a part of my professional identity and it is working with people who have been misdiagnosed and explaining to them. I can understand, you know, the misdiagnosis and how we feel about that. Let's process through that, right? But 
here's here's the diagnosis and here's what I'm seeing. And there have been times that I've had to have those hard, uncomfortable conversations. So again, going back to your question, Black History Month for me, it's not a month. It's all year. Mm. All year I am mm. black. Yeah. Yeah. People, there's been a lot of debate. It's like, month, what are you talking about? I am black. Mm -hmm. I'm brown. You know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree. Totally agree. So how, mm -hmm. how can we support you? Uh, you know what? Initially, supporting me was helping me get research participants for my dissertation. <laughs> but, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm at the just about finish line with collecting all of my data. So in a sense, in, in helping support me, you know, I just enjoy the opportunity that we are now in network together, right? A part of my professional identity has been, and I've been more mindful at this part of my dissertation journey, getting ready to graduate soon, is networking more, right? The way that we learn is by networking and having these conversations with other professionals in the field, right? Whether they are master level or doctoral level, for me, it's working with everybody in the field. And so for me, the best way to support me, I would say is to allow me the opportunity to continue to network with you and, and everybody who listens to your podcast. I really want to be an individual that is more out there than what I have been. I've, I've always kind of been behind the scenes, but now as I'm you know, being more grounded into my professional identity and growing within the field, I'm just looking for more network conversations, right? More network opportunities to meet people of, of vast diversities, right? Because that's how we can better support our clients, right? If we are an individual that only sticks within this box of people that we support or that we spend time with, how are we ever going to learn? And if we're not learning, then we're not doing best justice for our clients. So best to support me, honestly, is allowing me to stay in network with you and, and others. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely include your contact information if that's okay, so people can reach out. Yeah. Casey, thank you so much for your time and your phenomenal insight. I really appreciate you. Absolutely. I appreciate you. Thank you. A huge thank you to our listeners. If you like what you've heard, please share and subscribe to our podcast, People of Color in Psychology. Other ways to support us include registering for continuing education courses or making a one-time donation on the Multicultural Counseling Institute's website. We value your input and appreciate your continued support. You can send us an email, a message on LinkedIn, or send a voice message on our website. Until next time, I am your host, Jack Sutton.